John chapter 13. I want to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis. It'll be on the screen for you. It goes like this, and maybe you'll identify with it a little bit, as I did. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves, if you find yourself with the desire that nothing this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that you were made for an entirely different world. I don't know about you, but I resonate with that. I find myself wondering if this is maybe the most plausible explanation for what Paul was asking in Romans 7, right? We know it well. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And why don't I do what I do want to do? And then the universal question we all face, he asks out loud, and it's written in the Bible, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like Paul, that's dramatic. No, it's real. It's real, right? Sin certainly doesn't satisfy. We've tried that. We keep trying that and it doesn't satisfy. My own desires, when they get met, I don't find myself satisfied. Putting those expectations of satisfying me on my loved ones doesn't satisfy and it makes their life worse. So why is it that I'm willing to stand here every week, week in and week out, Declaring to you that Jesus, who you cannot see, who you cannot smell or touch or hear, is the anchor for your soul that you've been looking for. How dare me? (laughs) The short answer? Because you were clearly made for a different world. You see, because on the flip side of that, we could talk about how much the world and the secular moment we're living in don't meet the satisfaction of your soul. We could talk about that. And then I would, I would almost say that we could go so far as to say that we actually spend more of our time trafficking in the world than maybe we do in the kingdom. That's a different sermon. Now I know what you're probably thinking when I say that, and I want you to know that this is not at all what you're thinking, because what I'm not suggesting at all is this sort of utopian cult-like thing where I'm like, after church, you're going to get in a bus with me, we're going to go to Texas, and then you're going to drink some Kool-Aid, and it's, it's going to be great. Like, not what I'm talking about, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just because you're not old enough yet to know what I'm talking about, Right? I'm not talking about some weird cult-like thing. I'm talking about what Jesus told us to pray. God, would you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? I'm talking about what Jesus said to you and me and every disciple of his that would ever walk after him. That if you follow him, in him there is no darkness. I want some of that. And yet, here we are, we find ourselves in this world, a created world, and a created people that when we were all created, were created good. He gave humanity freedom, and he gave us the opportunity to abuse that freedom. 
And so we find ourselves in this place where we need rescue, right? There's a large theme through all of the Bible, even the psalm that I read to you, that I believe that I'm going to see this come to fruition. And no doubt, like the, the thing that like draws all of us into the same pool of people is that that's true for everybody. Like, they're, they're, if you haven't experienced it yet, there will come a point where you recognize that I cannot do all the things that I need to be satisfied in this life. You just can't. It's not possible. And so, what do we do with that? What do we do with this cultural moment where we recognize that we are not all that we were meant to be, and yet there's this storyline in the Bible that says God created us all that we were supposed to be, and we blew it. And by the way, there, there's like this thread where you could just blame Adam and Eve for that, but we've done the same thing. We are currently doing the same thing, right? Scripture says, to him who knows what is sin and does it, it's sin, right? Or he, he who knows what to do and does not do it, it's sin, right? And, and it's just the thing that levels the playing field. If we were to go around and take a poll, you and you were honest, we would all raise our hand and say, I sinned this week, this morning, in the last five minutes. Bottom line is, is we're in the midst of this rescue plan where Jesus is making all things new. And when you get into the middle of anything, there's that dip, right? It's like when you first become a Christian, you're up here and then there's a dip, right? And all of a sudden you're questioning things. You're not sure what you should do. Maybe you walk away from the church for a while. Maybe you get tired of listening to me every week. Whatever the case is, there's a dip, and the question is, in that dip, like, where's the Lord? Where's God when things aren't all that I hoped they would be? You know, and people who don't follow Jesus would say, it's in that dip that you're recognizing that he's not real. And I would say, no, no, it, it's, it's not because he's different. It's not because he's walked away. It's not because all of a sudden secular culture has great answers for my soul. They don't. What do we do with that? God renewing all things. It, we come to our text here in John 13, and we've been looking at Jesus' interactions with his disciples. We've been looking at Jesus' interactions with people in the world, with these crowds and with these people that needed his healing. And then we come to the end of John 13, and we're seeing Jesus' interaction with his closest followers. And what we find today is an interaction that Jesus has with two of his followers who do the same thing, and it comes to drastically different conclusions. Pretty interesting. We're going to continue to look at those things. And, you know, as I was thinking about human interaction and how this plays out to where, just to let the cat out of the bag, where Judas can deny Jesus or betray Jesus and land in the legacy like nobody has their child named Judas anymore. Why? For obvious reason. But there's a lot of Peters out there, right? Like, how did that happen? How did they both deny Jesus in the same frame and come to drastically different places? I was thinking about just human interaction in general. The average human every week interacts with between 500 and 2,500 people depending on who you, what kind of job you have, what kind of life you live. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of interaction. That's a lot of conversations. We interact with a lot of people, but to take just a 
brief segue before we get to these interactions that Jesus has. I, we need to build why that's so important, right? You hear us say in church leadership all the time, you weren't made to do life alone. We still say that. We'll say these catchphrases, right? Like, you need people in your life. You need to be in a group. You need to be at church. You need human interaction. You need touch. You need physical touch. You need all the things, right? And we can give you all the stats. But there, there are reasons for that, especially when you're a Christian. Here's what I want to say to you about your interactions with people before we look at Jesus's. You are interacting with people. Catch this. Don't miss this. This would be really sad if you missed this. This is important to what I'm trying to say. You're making interaction with people on behalf of Jesus. So critical because when you're driving on 275, you have to remember, I'm driving on behalf of Jesus. And so the evil one in the car over here is not, I, I wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, right? When your kids say your name for the 900th time, I wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against the principalities that have ever taken my child. And so all the things, right? And I'm obviously picking two silly ones, but you could go into the real things of life that you're really struggling with. Depression, drug abuse, any, name any sin, right? Name any struggle, name any diagnosis, name any world catastrophe. Thinking about Hawaii this week. Why? Right? Thinking about a hurricane coming up California. Like, the things of life, right? We see all that stuff, and yet it's really important that we understand why I'm here and why I'm interacting with people. Let me show it to you from 2 Corinthians 5. This is the gospel and the outcome of the gospel hitting your life in six verses. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore... If anyone, who, how many people? Talk to me. Anyone is in Christ. Anybody who has confessed Jesus as Lord is a what? New creation. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days I feel like an old creation. But it ain't because Jesus was wrong, right? It's because I've chosen that which is wrong. Moving on. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. And then here, I, I, this is it. Who through Christ, this is the gospel, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And what is coupled right there with you becoming a new creation? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So quite literally, every human being you interact with, I felt so guilty about this week, let me just tell you. I had some interactions that were, I was not thinking with these goggles on, right? It's like, if, I, if one more person tells me they can't fix something at this building, I'm going to lose my testimony, alright? Pray for me. You're all chuckling. It's because you get it, right? You know, and like, again, it's just like you tell yourself all the things, you coach yourself. This doesn't matter, it's things of the world, it's, gonna, it's a first world problem. All the things, right? But literally, in the simplest of interactions like that, I'm, I'm on mission. When you step into a hospital, when you step into 
a business office, when you step into middle school, when you step into high school, when you step into wherever it is you find yourself, you are on mission. Always. When you go to the fire department, when you take growth track, when you, all the things, when you go to Regen on Monday nights, all the things, you're on mission. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that is, in case we're confused about what that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, that's the gospel. That God came to earth, gave his life so that you could be made right with God. Not counting your sin against you. God then what? Makes his appeal through us. And then Paul shifts his language. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. If you are not a Christian and you are sitting here today or you're watching online or you hear this podcast 10 years from now, we beg you to be reconciled to Christ. It's the whole thing. Every person in this room will let you down. Jesus will not. For our sake, verse 21. I love this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that we in him might become the righteousness of God. That's good news. And so I say all that because when we're talking about interactions with people... We're looking at Jesus' interaction with people, not just for the heck of it. I take that little detour to remind all of us of the importance of every interaction we have. We're never off duty, if you will. Right? That's how I parent my kids. I say, you're a coon. Coons don't do that. Or coons do that. And we reward that, or whatever the case may be. Because they, they're never off duty. Like they were, they're always representing me and my family. Same with Christ. And so we come to John 13 and, and we see three possibilities for the outcomes of life here. And we see them through three people. And it's so incredibly important that, that we wrestle with that in our soul because it's not easy and on your own you're not going to do it. You're going to have to find power from somewhere else. I think that's, that's really key here. So enter the three possibilities here in John 13. Jesus having this interaction with two of his closest followers, Judas and Peter. They were going very shortly to have the opportunity to be those first ambassadors on behalf of Christ. The whole book of Acts is the explosion of the church onto the scene. Both of them, within days, within hours are going to betray Christ in ghastly ways. And before we judge them, let's be honest, how many times in our life have we betrayed Christ in ghastly ways? Opportunities for us to bear the name of Christ that we don't. Opportunities to resist the devil and have him flee from us, and instead we embrace the devil. Right? Scripture's about to say that Satan entered into Judas. Choices we make. And yet, the two of them have left incredibly different legacies behind them. And honestly, most of us, if we were asked, we would look at the disciples and say, yeah, I think I identify most with Peter. Right? 
We totally identify with messing up, being forgiven, being bold, then not being bold. We get it. But then additionally, sandwiched between these two interactions, and I had to spend most of my week thinking about why is, why is this in between these two? Why is this interaction between Jesus and Judas and Jesus and Peter sandwiching perhaps the most important thing Jesus could say to us as his followers? Pretty powerful. So, Let's look at the interaction. So Jesus says these words in John 13, starting in verse 21. He says, after saying these things, so everything we looked at last week, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now see, we can, we can like Jesus, Jesusify that, right? And be like, he was troubled in his spirit. Have you ever been troubled in your spirit? Yeah. You ever lay awake at night and can't sleep because you're troubled in spirit? You ever faced depression? You ever faced anxiety? Jesus was walking through the things that we walk through every day. One of his closest followers, closest friends was going to turn him over to be killed. And even though the scripture is very clear, and we've already studied it in John, that Jesus gives up his life, nobody takes it. I don't know that anybody would choose for your close friends to be the ones who lead the way. And so here's Jesus troubled in his spirit. Verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, this is John probably who was writing this, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, listen, as Satan entered into him, Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? Do it quickly. What you are going to do. Verse 28. Now no one at the table knew why he said this. And they couldn't fathom why this was happening. Some thought that because Jesus, Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or what he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. Now let's skip 31 to 35. Okay, because what we would assume would come next is verse 36, right? Because Jesus deals with Judas and now here's Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I love Peter. Can't we just cut out all this middleman? Can I follow you now? I will lay down, wow, I will lay down my life for you. Famous last words. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Rhetorical question, by the way. What's the obvious sentiment? No, 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 you're not going to lay down your life for me, Peter. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Imagine the, the hit 
to your gut hearing that from Jesus when you are pretty convinced after chopping a guy's ear off in the garden that you're willing to die. Do you ever just wonder, like, how do you go, like, like he does, like, they're going to have this interaction, they're going to go to the garden to pray, Judas is going to betray him, we're going to see this in the coming weeks, and Peter's ready. He's ready. Chops a guy's ear off. And then just moments later is denying him. Listen, it's just life, right? There are some days you wake up on fire for Jesus and there's other days where you're not sure if he's there. And so, this is a lot more real than I think sometimes we give Scripture credit for. But that's what's going on here. And so we come back to verse 31. What is the thing sandwiched between that is the thing for you and for me? Look at what verse 31 says. When he had gone out, so that's Judas, he left. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In other words, he's answering the question from last week. His hour, which had not yet come, is now coming. Little children, that's us, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so I also now say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. But listen to this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then this outlandish statement. This is why I felt so guilty all week. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Would love for us to each in our own mind just give ourselves a grade on that. What an amazing thought. Jesus is going to pray for this in John 17 in a couple chapters. This is the beginning of what theologians call his farewell discourse. He was at his hour. It was his time to die. It was his time to lay down his life for you. We say this a lot. We say it in growth track. We love because he first loved us. This is it. This is the moment. And so, what do we do with that? You know? I mean, lest we think the devil... You know, you read that about Judas and it's, it's easy to be like, well, he was... It was Judas. I mean, that's why the devil entered him. Well, listen, lest, lest we think that the devil's not at work in our world, I would submit that you cannot human traffic without being evil. You cannot hate someone and murder them without having evil enter you. You can't commit adultery, abort children, traffic drugs, ruin lives, ruin families. I mean, we could go on, right? Like, we could list all the things in this world that are clearly evil it's all around us people made in the image of God every human being you lay eyes on made in the image of God and yet filled with evil in this broken world for many of us though we're not, we're not involved in those things and so we're tempted to think that we're pretty good we're tempted to think that we live that way that maybe we'd even be willing to suffer for Jesus if the time in the future came, if persecution came because we don't vote right. That was a joke. 
More on that some other day. But listen, I, I th- maybe it's the most egregious error to think that we could do God's will and way on His behalf as His ambassadors to the world without His help. I think many of us are more in danger of that than we are what we assume happened to Judas. I think that's why the church in Revelation is told, and I would rather, God literally looks at them and said, I would rather you just pick that you would be hot or that you would be cold. Because for you to be in the middle, the, the Lord literally says, I'd rather vomit you out of my mouth. Because there's no respect in that. There's no honor in that. That sounds pretty harsh, but don't worry, next week in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus is going to ease all of, your, all of your wounds. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. There's always that balm, right? Like after, like, I'm terrible. <laughs> and then Jesus comes and says, I'm not. Praise God. But it's good for us from time to time in our world of doing and fixing and solving problems and I can do it. <laughs> it's good for us to sit every now and then in our own inability to save ourselves. For eternity, yes, but also for this present moment. We don't just need Jesus to save us ambiguously in the future. We do need that. But Christianity is not just a then religion. It's a now relationship. We need Him now. And here's what's so amazing. And it's why I brought in 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus tells His disciples that they cannot follow Him to heaven. Like that was the plan. That he would not just swoop in and rapture them off the earth immediately. No, no, he says, you can't come now. There's a whole plan for humanity to receive my love. God is always the first mover. We love because he first loved us, but then we love each other. That's it. That's the plan. (laughs) He loved us and now we love each other. Like that's the whole plan. Like think about that in reality. Potlucks are the plan. Let me get an amen in church today. Where are the Baptists at? Listen, meal trains, hospital visits, worship services, city groups, fire department outreaches, God's dogs, regen. That's the plan. It's the whole plan. And the beauty of it is because nobody else does it expecting nothing in return. There's all kinds of humanitarian effort out there. But it's because people want want their name on a building when they're gone. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad they do it. But there's an entirely different beauty in laying down your life for the good of another. Super difficult. Super cannot do that without Jesus. Verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why? Because people want to be a part of that. People want to be a part of something where people love each other, because that's what we were made for. 
The temptation in our culture, the temptation at Redeemer City Church, no doubt, is that when evil is all around us in culture, is to point at it and yell the loudest. But that was never what Jesus called us to do. It's never what he called us to do. He called us to love one another. That's our distinguishing mark. That's how people will know us. And friends, just to be honest, we have a PR problem in the world. The church does, at least in our country. This is not what we're known for. In an age of YouTube platforms and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, we're known more by what we're against than what we're for. Just being real. May it not be so at Redeemer City Church. May it not be so. May we be known for our love for each other. Not how big we get, not how small we get, not any of these other things. The goal in the Bible from Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the goal that he gave us was simply love one another and be my ambassadors to the world. How do I do that? Love one another. It's the whole deal. We come all the way back to 2 Corinthians 5 then, where we started. And we're reminded that Jesus is actively reconciling the world to himself. John 3.16, we just studied it not too long ago. Whoever, for God so loved the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God is reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians 5, not counting their sins against them, but rather through the death and resurrection of Jesus, making us to become the righteousness of God. That's the difference. So, so let, me, let me draw that down in the funnel, right? Let me ask you this, friend, if you are right with God. That sounds really scary. <laughs> Am I right with God? Is he going to hit me with a lightning bolt? No. Are you right with God? Have you received Jesus? Are you a new creation? Are you filled with His Spirit? See, because what I was immediately regretting in some of these interactions I've been having is, man, like, none of this stuff matters. Their soul really matters. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. If you're not, if you're not right with God, if you're not a new creation, if you don't have the Spirit of the living God, I want to invite you to confess Jesus as Lord of your life today. Making somebody Lord of your life sounds like a really bad idea in our culture. But I want you to know that in Jesus is the safest place you can be. To surrender to His way and His will, to be filled with His Spirit, will satisfy you in ways that you've not been satisfied. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy the longings of your heart. You can play that game. You can hide from it from, for, for a long time. A lot of people do. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that satisfies your soul like Jesus. You see, it comes back to what C.S. Lewis said, right? I think all of us get to that place where there's something in our heart that cannot be satisfied by the things of this world. 
It's because we're made for a different one. What is the different one? You're actually living in it. It just wasn't supposed to be marred the way it is. It's broken. But what Jesus is doing is making all things new. And he's doing that through you and through me. So if you are, if you do consider Jesus to be your Lord, I want to invite you to consider his call. That 2 Corinthians 5 call, that John 13 call to love one another, to be his ambassador. God making his loving appeal through you to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, through you. Love is the way. And so we are pushing these kingdom cards every single week because it is the thing that we are called to do, to put people's real names with real faces onto your prayer list and pray that you would have the courage to go home and tell your friends about all that God has done for you. I want to invite you, if you are a Christian, to start actively engaging in that kind of lifestyle. I am always on mission. See, a lot of times we get in our head like, oh, well, God may call me to be a missionary someday. Wrong. You are a missionary. God may call me to pastor, shepherd some people someday. Wrong. You are shepherding people right now. Everybody's a leader. We're going to talk about that in Growth Track Step 3 today. Shameless plug. You can come. All right? It's all about leadership. It's all about what all of us do. If you have influence over people, if you have people that look up to you, that are with you, that are friends with you, you have influence. What are you doing with it? Every moment matters in the kingdom of God, but not because you should feel guilty about not doing something. Actually, because you know Jesus. <laughs> That's awesome. And I can't wait to share him with everybody I know. It's a big difference, isn't there? So I want to pray that over you. So why don't you stand? Kevin's going to come up. We're going to sing again. Because that's the best thing we know how to do when we hear God's word. Is to respond to it. But I want to encourage you with something as we sing. I want to encourage you to take a step. To take a step. Grab somebody and pray with them. Go grab a kingdom card. They're back there by Info Central. Sign up for the fire department outreach. Sign up to get baptism and go public with your faith. Take a step. Put some, put some handles on what it looks like to be God's ambassador to the world. See, there's tangible things we can do every single day and it begins with loving one another. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. Amen? Come on, let's pray. God, thanks for your word. God, thank you for Peter. Thank you for Judas. Thank you for putting your feet, your flesh on this earth so that we could taste and see that you are good. That we would have tangible pictures of what it is you're doing in the world because you did it first. So God, we praise you. I pray for every single person within the sound of my voice that if they do not know you, I pray that today they would confess you as Lord. They don't need some magic prayer. They don't need me. They don't need any, They need you. 
So God, I pray that you'd give them the courage to do that and then seek your people. God, I pray for those of us that do know you, that are not actively living on mission. What an amazing thought that you chose to make us your representation on earth. That's humbling. But God, I want to be a part of that. I want to have my eyes so fixed on you. Pray that Redeemer City Church would have her eyes so fixed on you that we just start to become more like you because we're about the things you're about. That when we start to look at the world with you, we see what you see. God, only you can do that by filling us with your spirit. So I pray that you would give us the courage to pray that prayer, to get in that baptism pool, to join that outreach, to sign up for Regen or whatever it is that you're calling each one of us to do, to show up and serve on Tuesday nights, to pray, to start reading our Bible, to get counseling, whatever Holy Spirit you would have us to do, I pray that you'd help us to do it. Give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage to follow you. God, I pray that our legacy would be one like Peter's. We were far from perfect, (laughs) but we had been with you. I pray that would be our story. I pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Everybody said? All right, come on, let's sing.